Hi, everybody. Uh, so I'm going to read the open. Can you all hear me? Good. I'm going to read the opening pages of a novel I've been working on here called Penitence. And it's set in the year 1954. It opens in 1954. It's narrated by, by an angel. Uh, her name is Diana Rutherford. She's, she's based on a real person uh, from the Bahamas, which is where I grew up. Uh, it, Mrs. Rutherford, she was kind of a community matriarch. She was a storyteller. She was a teacher. And the thing that I most loved about her was this authority that she had. You, she, you felt as if she knew everything, which, which was this extraordinary thing. Um, and what happens when she dies and, and she goes to heaven is she figures out that she doesn't know everything. And she finds that heaven doesn't have angels and Jesus and halos, but it's something far more prosaic. Um, it's perceptual. It's her seeing all of these people that she thought she knew, but, but she really didn't. Um, and so I'm just going to read a, a short bit because it's getting kind of late and I don't want Nandi to, to kill me. Um, the, <laughs> the, the epigraph is taken from the book of Corinthians, um, chapter 11, um, verses 13 through 11. It is like this. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child. I reasoned as a child does. But when I grew up, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a poor mirror. Then we shall see face to face. What I know now is partial and fragmentary. And then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. But three things shall remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So let me tell you all how this story really go. All of us used to call her Missy Jones ever since her husband Arthur died in the war, fighting for England in the Caribbean regiment. Arthur was a brave man, fearless in many ways, and he fell in love with Missy Jones' choice to him because he saw so much of his heart in hers. After he died, Missy Jones decided that remarriage was impossible. Each time she slips into her bath, the voice of that skinny young messenger in the Navy suit and the pleated trousers remains too clear. This was 1943, July. He knocked on a door like he didn't want to wake anybody. She looked him up and down and knew the news before he told her, which was a favor to the boy, only 19, because in that moment a broad street had been cleft between his thought and his speech. Missy Jones prepared tea for them both, staring into the flame. Ma'am, the kettle's singing, he said. The poor boy didn't see the anvils weighing down her feet. The pickney. Missy Jones pointed her thumb to the veranda where a toddler with hair like alfalfa was playing with blocks. He named William. Is what you think of that name? Is a fine name, the messenger said, speaking not to Missy Jones, but to his teacup. It really is. Missy Jones stared the messenger dead in his eyes when she poured the water from the kettle, steam rising violently in the air fogging up his spectacles. 
but the water was too hot. The tea bags broke. Specks of mint leaves floated to the surface of their cups. William always been my favorite name, she said. And this was the truth. For many midnights before Arthur left for Europe, he and Missy Jones would sit in bed next to one another after making love, the air sticky, that useless fan spinning above their heads. They discussed names, the names of great men. We should name our first boy William, Arthur announced. I love that name, she said. Because of Shakespeare? Yeah, and Wordsworth. And who else? Blake? Yeah, and Wilberforce. Yeah, Wilberforce. Who is your favorite, William Arthur? Me, I like the Conqueror. William the Conqueror, he said, puffing out his barrel chest like one of those legendary wrestlers. And you? I don't know, Arthur. I don't know, she said. She traced her fingertips along the trail of stubborn hair leading to his navel. He traced the smooth path leading down to hers. His breath tasted like cigarettes and licorice. Again, they made love. Of course, she never tells these stories to William, who the entire parish of penitents calls Billy Boy. Missy Jones wouldn't even have time to, holding down as many jobs as energy and circumstance permit. At first, she was a seamstress only and sold dresses to the Braithwood girls down the road for a good price because she liked making the dresses more than making the money. More requests came in, and when at one time Missy Jones could have seen Billy Boy off to bed with a mug of Milo, she eventually had him make his own cocoa while she hunched down over that singer, her feet pressing down on the black contraption that made the machine buzz, her hands guiding thread through the satin, the tulle, the damask for Mrs. Adams' new curtains. Then the Smiths wanted pineapple doilies and the Russells wanted this and that. Soon Missy Jones became known throughout the entire parish of penitents as the sewing lady. Her arms became fat after keeping them on that singer for so long and she seemed to Billy Boy like a machine, not unlike the one she controlled. As the years passed by, people started asking her to bake coconut cakes because they heard that Missy Jones was good in more than just sewing things. And she received orders from couples planning weddings and widows planning funerals. And then one afternoon, Missy Jones stopped it all to work in the laundry room of Xanadu, the Caribbean's newest luxury hotel, conceived by a company of Americans profiting off what Milton observed three centuries before them. Everyone is still searching for paradise. Thanks.